Hello over there in the United Kingdom and around the world via internet. This is Tony Campolo and Shane Claiborne. The name of this show is From Across the Pond. We put it together every week at this time, and uh, we promote Red Letter Christianity, a movement that's picking up momentum in the United Kingdom, in Germany, and across the United States. It's beginning to show its first evidences in New Zealand and uh, Australia. A movement that says, what would happen if we took the words of Jesus seriously? And in the old Bibles, a lot of the words of Jesus were highlighted with red letters. Red Letter Christians. Go to our website, redletterchristians.org. Find out about us and sign on if you're in agreement. But we have a guy on the show today who takes the Bible seriously. His name is Gary Moore. Uh, you may know about him because he's he's not an inconspicuous person. He's very visible. Um, he's a financial advisor, but he does financial advising in the strangest way in the eyes of most people because he takes the Bible seriously, takes the commandments of the Old Testament about financial responsibility seriously, and applies them to investments in today's modern world. Uh, Gary Moore, a one-time Wall Street tycoon and uh, now retired from that. He has a degree in political science. He's been an advisor to a Republican vice presidential candidate, Jack Kemp. Incidentally, uh, Bill Clinton said, Jack Kemp is the one Republican that I think I would vote for if he ran for president. So there, that's a good sign of Jack Kemp. Welcome to the show. And um, do you want to start off the question, or do you want me to start off the questioning? Because i got a pile of questions for this guy. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, welcome, Gary. Hey, I, you know, it's funny because we've been over to uh, the U.K., Tony and I, recently, and everywhere we go, folks are talking about our elections, so we might as well start there. I mean, there's plenty of things we could talk about, but tell us, as you're navigating uh, or watching this season, uh, uh, what are some of the things that strike you or alarm you? What do you get excited about? Uh, It wouldn't actually be in the world of politics, but it's related, Shane. Um, There's a movement among corporate CEOs in America. Um, They used to uh, operate by the concept of Milton Friedman that the only social responsibility of a corporation is to make money for shareholders. They have recently rejected that. The Business Roundtable uh, has said that's a faulty idea. And they're going back to the idea that corporations should be responsible toward suppliers, uh, the community, the environment, future generations, and so on. And I think that's a very good thing. It is also a dimension of the coming election. A lot of my evangelical friends, for example, uh, favor Mr. Trump, President Trump, because of his stance on abortion. Um, I ask them to also consider the economic. And in my view, Mr. President Trump is the face of Milton Friedman's idea that the only responsibility he had in business was to make money for himself. Mm. And I believe that he has, ironically, at the time corporate America has given up on that idea, he is making it public policy by advocating his concept of America first. Hmm. It, it, it just came out, it's been in the news a little bit, that Jeff Bezos from Amazon makes uh, around $3,000 a second. 
<laughs> a second. Uh, it just boggles the mind. And, it, you know, most CEOs uh, are making more in an hour than their workers make in a month. Um, some folks are saying, you know, we need a maximum wage. We have a minimum wage or a living wage. We might need a maximum wage. Others are saying, no, I don't make what they want. Just tax the super rich so that we can take care of everybody else. Like, what, what do you think about uh, $3,000 a second uh, uh, there, Gary? <laughs> <laughs> I had uh, two mentors in my career, Shane. One of them was Sir John Templeton, the mutual fund manager, who, by the way, was a Rhodes Scholar and considered Great Britain to be his mother while, or, or to be his wife while America was his mother. Both believed in the concept of social responsibility. The other one was Peter Drucker, a famous American management consultant who said no CEO is worth more than 30 times that of the average worker. Well, that's a good line. Now, you made all kinds of headlines in the religious community because uh, you dealt with just two things that I'd like you to reflect on now. Uh, The national debt, number one, you've had a lot Uh to say about the national debt here in the United States which is at some astronomical level, you have the figures down pat. But the other thing was that uh, when uh, Y2K, uh, you know, when the year 2000 rolled around, uh, Mm -hmm. evangelical preachers in the United Kingdom and across the United States were predicting gloom and doom, uh, that the uh, economy was going to collapse. And there have been many, many of these people who claim evangelical credentials who are predicting uh, hard things for the American economic system. What is your reaction to all of that now? Um, I think the um, main problem there is our focus on the negative. The media here does not report that 30,000 planes will arrive safely today, but let one crash and, you know, it makes headlines across America. It's the same way with the federal economy. Um, the federal debt back in the early 90s when I was writing about it was around 4 or $5 trillion. Uh, everybody thought it was going to end the economy. Today it's $23 trillion, and nobody seems concerned about it because obviously there's a different document in the White House. Um, but the, um, what they don't look at is the positive side of America's balance sheet. It has never been less than 10 times the American economy. To put it in perspective, it's like having a $10,000 mortgage on a $100,000 house, Shane. Mm -hmm. And while they all show these rising numbers of the federal debt, what they don't show is the rising numbers of our national income and our national assets. National assets are actually growing faster than our national income. Well, that's that's interesting. You have to keep this stuff in perspective. Hmm. Yeah. As as you, uh, you know, there's a lot of, conversation uh, uh, around socialism and um, a lot of folks that are just throwing the word around. And you, you've kind of talked about a third way uh, that, you know, Jesus uh, did believe in, in caring for the poor. And uh, uh, I mean, you look at the, the gospel of Luke, the mightier cast from the thrones, the lowlier lifted up, the hungrier filled, the richer sent away empty. Um, but not Jesus wasn't a statist. He wasn't, you know, looking for Caesar to bring the kingdom of God, of course. So how, what, tell us a little bit more about this, this third way or how you're thinking of the conversations around socialism in our country. Well, I've long believed that um, the Bible teaches a third way between what we call socialism, which is actually statism, 
I believe Jesus was a socialist. I just don't believe, as you said, that he counted on Rome and Herod to usher in the kingdom of God. It's up to us as a community of believers to usher in the kingdom of God. And But that's not also not the red meat capitalism that many evangelicals here in the States seem to favor unwittingly. Um, there is a, a more responsible form of capitalism, which we discussed. The CEOs are now turning to it. But sadly, here in the States, most evangelicals have actually resisted that movement as they equate it with socialism. Um, and, and it's just so far from what the Bible teaches that it has been very frustrating to me to advocate the approach over the last 30 years. By the way, it has a political dimension to it, a corollary to it, that was uh, championed by Anthony Giddens of the London School of Economics. Bill Clinton and Tony Blair tried to more or less um, put it into practice in their respective governments, but it that neither, I would say, was real accepted because they were, like me, ahead of their time. You know, you can be on the bleeding edge or the leading edge, and it's not until the time is correct that these ideas come about. But I think if people looked into what Professor Giddens taught, that they would be very impressed with it, because what we're going to see here in the United States is the GOP is going to complain that every effort by the Democrats is, is a movement towards socialism, by which they really mean semi-communism, okay, with the government running everything. And that's just a uh, black and white perception that needs to be nuanced. Mm. What is this third way that you're proposing? Well, it's where individuals and corporations behave responsibly. You know, here in the States, we have a bad habit of investing in, let's talk about the tobacco industry. I happen to grow up in that industry, so I can speak personally about it. But the American Cancer Society and, and, and Washington cannot undo the harm caused by the tobacco industry. It's just that simple. And if you look at the teachings of Moses in the Jewish scriptures, I don't call them the Old Testament because I believe they're still relevant to modern economies, you'll see that Moses took great pains to prevent problems that he knew charity could not solve. For example, one of my favorite verses in Exodus says, if a bull harms a neighbor, then the bull is to be put to death. But if that bull has been in the habit of attacking the neighbors and the owner of the bull did not do anything about it, then the owner was to be put to death too. Now, I believe the spirit, not the literalism, but the spirit of that law speaks very directly to investors in the tobacco industry because everyone knows now that tobacco produces harm for much of society. And we can't count on Washington and um, charities, the American Cancer Society, to fix that. And yet, if you look in the portfolios of most evangelicals and endowments and so on, you will see they're probably pretty loaded with tobacco stocks because they pay a nice dividend every year. So just to pause real quick and say uh, thanks, everybody, for listening in. This is uh, Shane Claiborne and Tony Campolo. Our show Across the Pond uh, is on every week at this time, and we are talking about red-letter Christianity. What, what does it look like to live out the gospel of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, the words of Jesus that are often highlighted in red in the old Bibles. And Jesus talked a lot about money. He talked about 
selling what we have and giving it to the poor. He talked about uh, uh, all kinds of shrewd managers of money and unjust uh, vineyard owners. So he talked about this a lot. And even in the prayer, he teaches us, forgive us uh, our debts as we forgive our debtors. So we're talking about uh, finances and money and the economy uh, today. And our guest is Gary Moore, a Bible-believing financial advisor that can't vote for Trump. So we're talking about uh, economics with you, Gary. And you were talking about the Hebrew Scripture, the Jewish Scripture. And one of the the uh, things that we have there, right, is the Jubilee, which was a, a, a systemic way of dismantling inequality that periodically um, we would redistribute property. We would release people from the debt that they owed. Slaves would be set free. The land would rest. So it was a way that God kind of interrupted the patterns of inequality and, and uh, got us back to a, a, a state of, of uh, equilibrium. And we, we, you know, one of my friends says that the, the, the Hebrew people never really practiced that, but Christians haven't always practiced on the, the Sermon on the Mount either. It, it was still, you know, it was still uh, God's kind of vision what what how do what do you think we could learn from that? What what how would the how might the jubilee inform the world we live in right now? Well, let me begin by saying, from your perspective, some of the red letters of Jesus, if you will, were, was that he did not come to do away with the law of Moses. So many evangelicals, in particular here in America, will tell me I'll cite the old law that uh, many provisions that Moses laid down about social responsibility, and they'll say, oh, the Christ freed us of those old laws. Well, that might be true of believers who take, you know, love of neighbor uh, seriously. But, you know, my experiences on Wall Street over 40 years suggest to me that that's not always the case with society in general. And I believe that our government and and people and Christians in particular should look at the spirit of those laws of Moses. An interesting story, Sir John Templeton, by the way, the back window in Westminster Abbey is named for Sir John's family. Um, He really loved Great Britain. But anyway, on his, I think it was his 80th birthday, he got on an icebreaker to the North Pole and reread the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures. Hmm. And um, he was a Calvinist, and Calvin believed more seriously um, that the uh, Jewish scriptures were still relevant to culture, of course. And so John always practiced what we call social responsibility. He avoided in his mutual funds alcohol, tobacco, gambling, speculation, and so on. And yet he was one of the top mutual fund managers, if not the top, for decades uh, in the world. And so one of the messages I try to provide is that ethics in the short run might cost you a little, but in the long run, they will make you a lot. I think that's also true of government, by the way. I think that our current president is probably gaining a little in the short run in terms of accumulating power but I'm very afraid that he's going to cost Americans a great deal in the long run. You uh, have some very interesting things to say about the economic values that are embedded in uh, the Muslim religion, in Islam. Um, And uh, you talk about the Islamic uh, Amana Growth Fund. Uh, You talk about uh, the responsibility with wealth in uh, the Quran. 
Could you comment on that? Because a lot of our listeners are in the United Kingdom where they're constantly dealing with Muslim people. Mm-hmm. Um, that's increasingly a problem here in the country and a real dimension of the current political environment. As you know, President Trump began by, in essence, shutting off uh, immigration and, and even visitation to the Muslim communities, and that has informed the political perspectives of many conservative Christians here in the States. Um, the irony is there are two ironies. One, Ronald Reagan devoted his final speech in office to, to discussing the many riches that immigrants bring to America. How ironic is that? The second is that this Islamic mutual fund, and I'm co-authoring a book with the founder of that fund, has seriously, about 2% a year, which is huge, outperformed the S&P 500 index. And here in the States, most of our mutual funds cannot even match the index. So by incorporating these Islamic ethics, which I would note are Jewish and Christian as well, assuming you believe the Jewish scriptures, Jesus did not come to do away with them, um, can be actually financially enriching. While I hate to say it, but here in the States, our evangelical financial celebrities who dominate the media often teach that ethics will cost you money. And I just, I think that's a shame all the way around. And uh, you uh, had a rather intense uh, argument against the prosperity theology, which seems to permeate the United States, the United Kingdom, and for that matter, around the world, and is very popular among evangelicals. The largest congregation in the United States right now is down there in Texas, and um, uh, the preacher <laughs> preaches a prosperity theology, and he has 30,000 people out to church on Sunday morning. So uh, could you respond to that whole idea that if you live uh, if you uh, if you do God's will, God will prosper you economically. Um, yeah, I think that's the problem. Is um, Jesus, in essence, said uh, God makes it to rain on the just and the unjust. There are times I've seen on Wall Street where it seemed that um, uh, those who were unethical actually uh, were enriched financially by some of the unethical behavior. The problem is, I think, is in the spiritual dimension. Um, we have a philosopher here called Ayn Rand, or we had, who created a new religion to, to replace Judeo-Christianity, which she thought had become irrelevant. And it was a money society. She said the um, moral purpose of a man is to create money. And I believe, I wrote about this in Christianity Today back in 2010, her philosophy, but I believe that it's very tied to prosperity theology. I think it is a syncretization of the scriptures and Anne Rand's philosophy that the moral purpose of our lives is to make money. Relate that to the political dimensions, and you might remember one of the characteristics that our president advocated while campaigning was that he was very, very rich. Um, nobody seemed to question that, whereas in the Bible, it repeatedly says um, the king is not to make himself rich, so he won't think he's better than other people. Most people forget that, that when God got around to choosing a king, David did not come um, from the ivory tower. He was born of a shepherd and Moses of slaves and so on. 
And yet here we are in a money culture where we believe it's a positive uh, to have someone who was born with a gilded spoon in his mouth. Mm. And I think that's directly related to the fact that the only major policy success I've seen, if you want to call it a success, by President Trump has been the massive tax cut for the wealthy and corporations, which are, by the way, 80% owned by 20% of the American population. Gary, in the last few minutes, I I wanted you to, there's been a lot of talk um, around reparations and a responsibility uh, to repair some of our history of what we you know, did the, uh, I mean, we say that a lot of people think that, you know, God blessed America with riches and this kind of manifest destiny. But the truth is we, we really took the land and slaughtered natives and, you know, enslaved Africans to build this country. And so, you know, it's 300 years since 1619. We've had a lot of, um, conversations around this, uh, Georgetown, I believe it was, is providing, you know, full scholarships for children of enslaved people. Um, and, and when you look at the Bible, there's certainly a case for uh, responsibility, like when Zacchaeus, you know, encounters Jesus and he gives half of everything away, but then he pays people back four times what he owed them. So there's sort of a, a form of reparations that we see in that story. Um Say a little bit about what what you think our responsibility might be, um, especially to folks who come from uh, you know the the history of sl- uh, slavery. Um, I think right now it's like the average white person is still making over a dozen times the average African American. So you, you, you have you given much thought or writing to uh, reparations? Oh, yes. Um, um, The bigger fact there is we usually look at the the inequality of incomes, the inequality of wealth among whites and blacks, for example, in this country is enormous. It's much bigger than the income inequality. I have a dear friend who ran the Bureau of Indian Affairs and the poverty among Native American tribes here um, that we forced off their lands into less than ideal conditions um, here in Florida, we put them into the swamps of Okeechobee, um, is, is enormous. And the Bible, each time Moses declared that such and such an economic activity um, should not be engaged in, he also said, if you do, then you're going to make these reparations. Now, here in the States, ironically, this week, I've had a discussion on Facebook among Christians who have said, um, we didn't enslave the blacks, we didn't run the Indians off their reservations, and so on. And I think that misses the point. The point is that we still, in essence, kept the best of America's resources for ourselves, and we delegated the marginal properties and so on to Native Americans, the blacks, and so on. And if you believe that Jesus indeed did not do away with the teachings of Moses, then reparations, I think, are entirely a biblical concept. Let me say this, uh, that the scripture is quite clear, that uh, the sins of the fathers shall be upon their children and their children's children, even into the ninth or tenth generation. Uh, it, oh yeah. If you believe the Bible, and we red letter Christians do take the Bible seriously, specifically the words of Jesus, we have to say the sins of our forefathers are sins for which we have to bear some responsibility. 
We're close to running out of time with one of the more fascinating people we've ever had on our show, Gary Moore, a financial advisor of the highest order in, because he takes the Bible seriously. Uh, if you had to uh, put out your book, you had, uh, I think you had uh, a book that's pretty popular. Which, which book would you rep- recommend? Well, the most recent was actually published by Sir John Templeton's foundation, and it's called Faithful Finances 101. John realized, as I discovered when I started to go to seminary, seminaries no longer teach uh, the moral dimensions of political economy. And that's why I didn't go to seminary. That's what I wanted to study and teach. So I began learning these things. But Faithful Finances 101, John asked me to write um, as a textbook for seminaries and colleges. Yeah. I have to tell you, they weren't much interested in it, to be honest with you. But it's a pretty good book about... Well, that's a good book. And how Save the title of it one more time. ...to the current environment. And give us that title one more time, Gary. Because we're running out of time Faithful here. Faithful Finances 101. Faithful Finances 101. Well, we're unfortunately out of time. It's been a great conversation, though, with Gary Moore, uh, financial advisor, uh, scholar on economics, a great writer, and uh, we're out of time. So go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Uh, That's what Jesus said to do. (laughs) Take it seriously. Take the red letters seriously. 